we're uh, we're going to kick off session two now. For session two, I've got another reading, which is from Matthew twenty-three, and we're going to start from verse twenty uh, thirty-seven. Sorry, and this is Jesus speaking. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together, as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things, he asked? Truly I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And when will the sign of your coming and the end of the end of the age? Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, claiming, I am the Messiah, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumours of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes at various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Um, And then down to verse 15. So when you see standing in the holy place, the abomination that causes desolation, spoken of through the prophet Daniel, Let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. Thank you, Luke. So we're doing session two, the signs of the times, and um, Luke's just read to you from from that, and uh, that's really good. So Jesus in here in in the reading pronounces doom on the temple, and the disciples have, have been saying to Jesus, "Well, look at this, because Herod Herod actually took the second temple and he he built it, and that big platform that you can still see." that sits in Jerusalem there in the Dome of the Rock with the gold on it that the Muslims put on in the in the 90s. It was silver before that or black or something. But um, that all that area he did, but when Titus came in with his armies in 70 AD, they actually wiped that whole thing out. And the interesting thing about it is that Titus issued orders that when they took Jerusalem, the temple wasn't to be touched. It was full of gold and silver. It was very, very you know, rich and and luxurious. But the soldiers wanted the gold and the silver. And the only way they could get the gold and the silver off the stones of the temple was to burn it off and the fire got out of control and burnt the whole temple. And yet Jesus told them not one stone would be left upon another. Right? And 40 years later from that point, one generation, the temple had gone. And has never been rebuilt. There's going to be another one. Actually, there's two coming, but we might talk about that another day. So the disciples want to know, as Jesus comes down and deals with that, coming out into chapter 24, Jesus came out from the temple and was going away, and his desires came to point out the temple buildings to him because they were beautiful. Okay, They were lovely. It was 
gold, gold, glitz and glamour, I'm telling you. And he said, do not you see all these things? I say to you, not one stone will be left upon another which will not be torn down. And then he went up to the Mount of Olives in verse 3 and his disciples came to him privately so nobody's around and they ask him three questions. These are the three questions. When will this happen, the destruction of the temple? That's the first question. The second question, which is in there, is what is your sign? What is the sign of your coming? What is the sign that you are coming back as you've taught us that you're going to do? You know, three days I will be in the body of the earth as Jonah was in the body of the fish. And after three days I will rise again. And that was one of the things that they tried to find Jesus guilty of at the trial with Pilate was that he said that he would die but he'd be back in three days. And the interesting thing about that is that they, they actually put a guard on the on the on the, the sepulchre that Jesus was in, the stone was rolled in, it was sealed, they put a guard on it and they, they were on pain of death if anything happened, you see, because they were dead frightened that what he promised was going to happen because they'd seen so much of what he said was going to happen is already taking place. And they're seeing all these miracles, demons cast out, blind people seeing, dumb talking, you know, lame men walking and all this sort of thing. And so when he says, I'm coming back, it's like, well, panic stations, boys, because we've got this Jewish tradition and we're holding these Ten Commandments, which we've now merged into 613-something laws so that you can't spit on the Sabbath, you know? You know, you go to Jerusalem and you get to Friday 1 o'clock and the whole place just settles down. So you can't get a cup of coffee. You've got a that's just in a pot and you can put some hot water on if you're a Gentile but nothing else. The, the lifts go floor by floor because they're automatic. So you walk in and the lift goes up one floor and stops and it goes up the next floor and it stops and you spend most of the Sabbath in the lift going up and down, you know? Because that's what happens. If you're in a high-rise building, you know, you've got 50 stories, you're doing 50 stops on the way up and another 50 coming back down. It gets a bit boring. But that's what that's because they brought this law in. And so, you know, what they, they always want to know what is the legal requirement. And why do they want to know that? Because if they can deal with the legal requirement in its minimal form, then they fulfilled the law. But Jesus came to set us free. And so he says, you know, I'm going, I'm going to be crucified, I'm going to die in three days, I'm going to rise again from the dead. Oh, no, don't tell us this is going to happen. How are we going to deal with that? Well, they didn't deal with it particularly well at all, actually. But here are the disciples saying, what are the signs of the end of the age? When will the temple be destroyed? What are the signs of your coming? And what will be the sign of the end of the age? Now, some people argue about this and say, oh, there's only two questions in there, but there's not, there's three. When's the temple destroyed? What's the signs of your coming? And when is the end of the age? And we'll discover this morning when the end of the age actually begins. All right? It's called the day of the Lord. And if you want to go back and read Obadiah verse 15, because Obadiah only has one chapter in it, you'll see the, the day of the Lord mentioned there and other places all the way through the Old and the New Testament, the day of the Lord. What is the day of the Lord? The day of the Lord's what's coming. And the nations are going to be judged and Israel is going to be elevated and the church is going to rule and reign with Jesus Christ for a thousand years. And Israel is going to become the premier nation in Jerusalem rebuilt with a new temple rebuilt in which the Shekinah glory of God dwells. And Jesus is going to rule those nations with a rod of iron. That's Psalm 2.9. 
So he's not going to judge by what he thinks he ought to do. He's going to judge by what's what's right and what's just. And a lot of people say, well, <laughs> yeah, here's, here's one for free. If you're praying, make sure you're praying the will of God. Because God's not going to answer it if it's not his will. How do you know what the will of God is? Because this book of two covenants, Old Covenant and New Covenant, is God's will, God's plan, God's purpose. So if you're praying, and I know a lot of you do, and I'm not saying that you're getting it wrong, I'm just saying for those that don't pray in the room, okay? Dad always, my dad always taught me, he said, if you're going to pray, pray, pray Scripture. And when I first started going out with Pam at 15, and she came to our place, she said, she said to me years later, she said, you know, the thing that got me was your father always prayed Scripture because that's the will of God. And everything. See, prophecy. Josh McDowell wrote a book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict. And he said, I spent 750 hours trying to prove that Jesus didn't exist. At the end of 750 hours, I fell on my knee and I gave my life to Jesus and claimed him as my Lord and Saviour. 750 hours trying to disprove Jesus and couldn't do it in the end. So every there's 300, Josh McDowell says this in his book, there's 300 prophecies regarding the, the return of the first coming of Jesus. And every prophecy got fulfilled, has been fulfilled. Everyone, not 219, but 300. If it's 300, it might be 301 or two, but you don't understand what I'm saying. Not one was missing. For the return of Jesus Christ, the Bible teaches 600 prophecies of which people will tell you that 80% of them have already been fulfilled. So I've got a question for you. If 80% have been fulfilled, what do you think is going to happen with the other 20? If 80% have got filled, then 20% are going to get filled. And this is one of the things that you do if you, if you study what they call eschatology, which is the future things, which is what we're talking about. If you can look back and you can see that this has taken place and we're living in a time where it's still taking place, then obviously what the Bible talks about is coming in the future is going to take place because you extrapolate the thing out. you understand? And follow it. So suddenly prophecy doesn't stop. It will stop. We'll talk about that later because it's almost at its end. But this is what happens, and this is how, why you go back to the Word. This is why you go back and you say, what does the Bible say? Not what I think, not what you think, not what somebody who's written a book thinks. It's what does the Bible say, because the Bible doesn't change. And that's what we're trying to stay on today. So enough of that for free. You can pay for the rest now. So here are the three questions, and we're going to look at them. When is the temple destroyed? If you've got Luke um, 21... 20 to 24, we'll just go there and we'll have a look at that. When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then recognise that her desolation is near. So what happened in 68 to 70 AD? Jerusalem was surrounded by the Roman armies and the desolation was near. She was destroyed. Okay. When those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains and those who are in the midst of the city must leave and those who are in the country must not enter the city. By 135 AD, it was all over. They were out. They weren't allowed to even go back into, into Jerusalem on pain of death. 
and they were scattered throughout the world in 135 AD under Emperor Hadrian and just wandered, became known as the Wandering Jews and moved around. In 1492, Columbus is sailing the ocean blue, but uh, Isabella and Philip of Spain, on this very same day that Columbus leaves to go and find America, kicks the Jews out of Spain and they become Sephardic Jews who travel the world and most of them went to, to the east where they were welcomed in those days. So here's this, and they will fall by the edge of the sword and will be led captive in all the nations and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Trampled under the underground by all the nations until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. When the times of the Gentiles finish, which is the non-Jewish people in the world, that will actually be the time when Jesus comes back. So the times of the Gentiles are still running. We're living in it right now at the end of, if you believe Jesus is coming back in this generation. So it deals with those 2,000 years. Believing Jews, now here's the thing. Jesus told them that. And when Titus came in in 70 AD and started to destroy them, destroy Jerusalem, he, he actually came in in 68 and then he pulled back. And in that period of time, Jesus having said this about 32 AD, the Jews, the believing Jews, you know the people that made up the Jewish church that had become Messianic Jews or they'd accepted Jesus as Lord and Saviour, they fled because of this. Josephus, the Roman Jewish historian who worked with the Romans at this time, records this, that they actually fled. And there was about 3,000 of them at the time that, that were still in Jerusalem. The others had scattered around. And they actually fled, and not one of them that was born again. That's history. That's not the Bible. That's just history. Incredible thing, because they followed what the Word of God said. See what I'm telling you about what does the Bible say? It's important, okay? So we come here. When will the temple be destroyed? And so... From 586 BC under Nebuchadnezzar when he destroyed Jerusalem right through to 70 AD, they hadn't controlled that city. It had all been controlled by the Gentiles. It had been controlled by the four world kingdoms that were coming. Babylon, Persia, Iran, um, Greece, and then Rome. Those four major kingdoms that are prophesied in Daniel. So what will be the sign? This is the second part in Matthew chapter... 24, verse 29 to 31. Just flip back with me. What will be the sign of your coming? Immediately, verse 29 of Matthew 24, immediately after the tribulation in those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from the sky and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky when all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man, that's Jesus, coming on the clouds of the sky with power and with great glory. And he shall send forth his angels with a great trumpet and they will gather together his elect from the four winds. Who's an elect? Put your hand up if you're elect. He's going to gather them from the four winds. That's referring to all across the world, okay? A nation will rise against, but that's not yet the end, he says. There you will hear of rumours and wars and rumours of wars. Do not be frightened, for those things must take place, but that is not the end. And nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. That is a significant 
statement, nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom. I'll show you about that shortly. And in various places there will be famines and earthquakes, and these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. And they will deliver you to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. Exactly what's going on. And at that time many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another, and false prophets will arise and mislead, and lawlessness will be increased, and most people's love will grow cold. Does that sound like 2022 in the world? But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Look at verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. Notice that first. The gospel will be preached in the whole world to a t- as a testimony to all nations. He does not say, and it's in red so I know Jesus said it, he does not say they will repent. He says the gospel will be put out there as a testimony because when they come to the judgment throne of God, they're going to find that they have no excuse because they've already heard it. It's been preached all through the nations. It doesn't say they're going to repent. Jesus said the way was broad, but narrow is the way that leads to God, and few there will be that find it. He's not talking about whether you live a good life. He's talking about whether you believe Jesus is the Son of God, that he died and rose again, and that he's coming back. Very important. So what is the sign of your coming? Well, in verse 29 of that chapter, he says, The uh, sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from the sky and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Joel 2, 30-31. Just, you can find it, go there. He's a minor prophet. Comes in under Daniel. Everybody knows where Daniel is, don't they? Then you go to Hosea and then you come to Joel. And Joel... 2, 30 to 31, has this to say on the subject. I will display wonders in the sky and on the earth. This is referred to in the head of my Bible as the day of the Lord. I will display wonders in the sky and on the earth, blood, fire, and columns of smoke. Hello? Isn't that happening? Blood, war, people dying, fire, columns of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. But it will come about that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be delivered. Interesting, isn't it? So what is the sign of your coming? Darkness. Verse 30 of of Matthew 24 again. He's coming with power and great glory. The Shekinah glory of the presence of the Lord is going to arrive and you're going to start to see it in the skies. We got the Hubble telescope and we look like through a veil, you know, like looking through a veil and you see these and you go, wow, aren't these planets good? And then we suddenly we get the James Webb telescope that they're putting up and you can see these things. And answer me a question, what's that little bright star that's in all the pictures somewhere, the background? I don't know, but it looks interesting to me because you've never seen it before. And there'll be signs in the heavens of the coming of the Son of Man. Okay? So here's the, here's the things that are going. Do you understand what the Shekinah glory is? The Shekinah glory is the glory of the presence of God. When God said in Genesis 1, let there be light, what do you think he was referring to? Not electricity, not the sun they, or the moon. They weren't even created till day four. This is day one. What's the Shekinah glory? Let there be light. The glory of God, sorry, the glory of God, sorry, glory of God has become light and shining. Now, when Solomon built the first temple and tried to dedicate it, 
The Bible says the glory of the Lord filled the temple to such a state he was offering 7,000 bullocks and 120,000 sheep. But the glory of the Lord arrived in the temple and there was no way that they could worship God because the glory was there. Shekinah glory. Think Shekinah glory. Think the Mount of Transfiguration. And Jesus is transfigured. What's happening? The light is coming out of his earthly body and they're all on their faces. And Peter says, let's build three tents here. And God says from heaven, listen to him. See? But that's what was happening because his, his glory was clothed in human form. Now here's one for you. God says in Genesis 1.26, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. So what do you think first man before he sinned was clothed with? Glory of God. The glory of God, the Shekinah glory of God. So then we come along and we get into Ezekiel where they've, they've perverted the worship in the temple and there's a judgment coming, which is the Babylonians coming in to destroy it in 586 BC. And in the 10th chapter of Ezekiel, there's a passage of scripture that talks about the glory of God leaving the temple. It came out of the Holy of Holies. It came out and stood on the, on the step of the temple, on the doorpost. It moved up. It went to the Mount of Olives and it disappeared. Gone. So they come in and there's no temple now and there's no glory of God. But the angel says in Acts 1.11 to the disciples, why do you stand gazing into the heavens? This Jesus will return in like manner. And we all go, wow, what have we just read? There will be signs in the heavens and the glory of the Lord and the moon and the sun and the stars will be darkened. But then you'll see the signs of the coming of the Son of Man coming in and the glory, the Shekinah glory is going to flow back into this world and it's going to dwell here forever. All through the millennium, thousand years of rule and reign. Okay? So what's the sign of his coming? The Shekinah glory, the presence of the Lord. Verse 32 and 34 takes us right back to the past thing, the parable of the fig tree. And verse 34 of this, this Matthew 24 says, this generation, put your hand up if you're this generation, will not pass away until all these things have taken place. I'm a man of faith. I have no, I have no, I've never had a concept of death, of dying. Devil's tried to kill me a couple of times, but it didn't work because he's got nothing to do with that. That's God. Told me he'd kill me in 2020. Didn't happen. I'm still here. Told me that in 2012, actually. But listen to me. I know I'm off track a little bit here, but listen to me. I have no concept of death because I believe that Jesus is going to come and take me. Because this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. You can stand on that. So the third question is, what will be the sign of the end of the age? Matthew 24, verses 4 to 8. Let's just go back to there again. So what is the sign of your coming? What is the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, "See, this is the first statement, See no one misleads you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will mislead many. False Christs. False Christs. False prophets. False Christ coming. I'm the Messiah. Reverend, remember the Reverend Moon in Korea? 
false Christ and all the others, and you can read in in much of Acts about different ones that's claimed it, and John talks about it in his epistles. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will mislead many. You will be hearing of wars and rumours of wars. This goes on all the time. Wars and rumours of wars, wars between nations, wars between ethnic groups, wars between this person and that person, wars between husband and wife, wars between families, wars between you know political parties. It just goes on. Wars and rumours of wars, but see that you are not frightened, for those things must take place, but that is not yet the end. So we haven't got to the end, and we haven't got to the answer, when will be the end of the age? And then we come to this point in verse 7 and verse 8. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And in various places there will be famines, earthquakes, and these things are merely the beginning. So verses 7 and 8 tell us that this will be the sign of the end of this age that has begun. What is the sign? Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Now Jesus just talked about wars, rumours of wars, and he says, don't worry about them. That's not even the, the beginning. That's just the start of the birth pangs. But nation will rise against nation and kingdom will rise against kingdom. In Jesus' day, the Jewish had an idiom for the war of the world that they were always looking forward to. And this was the idiom. Listen to it. So every one of these Jewish people, who disciples who was listening to him understood it, as did the scribes and the Pharisees. This is the idiom for world war, which had never happened before. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. That is the beginning of the end of the age. Any idea when that happened? Try 1914. First worldwide war. And that's the beginning of the end of the age. That's what Jesus said. This is how they're interpreting it. All right? So it's not a localised war anymore. It's a world war. The First World War occurred from 1914 to 18. Most historians now believe that World War II was a continuation of World War I, which it was, right? Therefore, the sign at the end of the age has begun was to be a world war. The events of the First World War provided the impetus for the Zionist movement, which we were talking about with Herzl with his hand up like this, okay, for the Herzl, for the destruction of the foreign occupier of the land of Israel, who was that? Turkey, the Ottoman Empire. And in 1917, 800 Aussie soldiers on horseback took the wells of Beersheba. And that was the beginning of the collapse of the Ottoman Empire. And they just went back and back. We'd already been defeated in, 2015, in 1915 at Gallipoli, destroyed Gordon Moyes. Anybody remember Gordon Moyes? Gordon Moyes said to me one day in Sydney, we were talking about something, he said, I went back to Gallipoli in 1920-something. He said, and we pulled into the bay and we thought it had been snowing. I said, why, Gordon? What was going on? And he said, he was doing film stuff, I think, and he said, might have been later than that, he said there were so many bones bleaching in the sun that it looked like the place had been snowed on. And we got defeated in that. Two years later, we took out the wells of Beersheba. Amazing thing, right? So then we get the Zionist movement, we get Herzl. In 1917, we get the Balfour Declaration, which led to the desire to establish a state of Israel. They wanted to put it in different places. One was in Poland, one was in out Siberia, one was actually in Western Australia at one stage. 
Imagine how wealthy they would have been if they'd gone there with all that iron ore in the ground. <laughs> but that wasn't where they were supposed to go. They were supposed to go back to their land because God promised Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 to 3, I will make you of you a great nation, and those who bless you I will bless, and those who curse you I will curse. And history down through the ages, ever since Abraham 4,000 years ago, the same thing has happened. Those who bless Israel get blessed, and those who curse Israel get cursed. And the scripture never changes. And so here we are. And Britain says, okay, they didn't want to do it, but they couldn't help themselves because God was in it. Second World War led to the establishment of Israel in 1948. The world encompassing war would be accompanied by famines in 1918 and 19. Pestilence and famine killed 23 million people. In 1920, the Great Famine of China occurred, followed by the Great Russian Famine of 1921. China in 1958 lost 30 million. The Ukraine in 1932, Ukraine has 34 million people at the moment. Guess how many died in 1932? 34 million. Interesting, isn't it? Other events are earthquakes. Let me just give them to you. In the 14th century, there were 157 major quakes. 20th century, we've had more than 900,000 so far. There are five worldwide events that Jesus said would happen prior to his return. Geological events, Luke, Luke 21, 11 and 25 talks about earthquakes, famines, pestilence, nations in dismay and perplexity. Astronomical events or signs in the skies, which we've already talked about that Jesus said. Luke 21, 26, Matthew 29, 24, 29, 31. Men's hearts are failing them for fear of the things coming on the earth. Signs in the sun, signs in the moon, signs in the stars, the powers of the heavens being shaken. Catastrophes from Luke 21 and Matthew 24. War everywhere, no nation safe, great tribute everywhere and not seen since the beginning of the world nor will there ever be again you see what's happening and this is what's happening it's all around the place there's wars blowing up and coming here and coming there and we we can't do it deceptions Matthew 24 verses 4 and 5 talking about that go to 2nd Thessalonians 2 8 to 12 Thessalonians is a fascinating book talks about Jesus coming back and the church being taken actually so Thessalonians 2 verse 8, Then that lawless one, the Antichrist, whom will be revealed, whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. Though that is, the one whose coming is in accordance with the activity of, a saint, of Satan, with all power and signs of false wonders, and with the deception of wickedness for those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. For this reason... Listen to this. This is, this is key, and you can see it in the world right now. For this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false. Hello? Everybody looks at that and goes, but how can a God of love do that? First thing God is is a God of justice. And if he doesn't deal with those issues, and if he doesn't deal with falsehood and lies and people standing against him, then he's not a just God. But he becomes a just God for you the moment you believe. He also becomes a loving God. You understand? There's got to be a difference. And there's a denomination around, they're not so big now, but they used to be that they believed that God would never bring judgment on the earth because he was a God of love. Well, yeah, that's true, and he is. Why does he bring judgment on the earth for those who refuse to believe? So that you can receive justice. 
In Matthew 24, 14, he talks about the gospel being preached to all the nations as a testimony. I've already said that. But then the end will come. So we look and we go, well, when is every nation going to be reached? And we've spent a lot of time on that. Have you got any idea? Elon Musk is putting 28,000 satellites around the earth. 28,000 so everybody can see everything at any time. They don't have to be Christians to do this stuff for God. God uses non-Christians as well, do you understand? It's like he used Nebuchadnezzar, you know. It just goes on like Judas, like where do you want to stop? It just goes on because God has a plan and it's moving through. And so we've got all this going on, but the gospel's still getting preached. It's going out in the airwaves day and night. You open up Facebook and if you're looking at the right sort of things, in it comes. If you're looking at the wrong sort of things, out it goes. That's the other side of that, but it's there, you know. It's not the rapture that triggers the tribulation, the seven years of hell on earth before Jesus actually comes back in form, physical form and stands on the Mount of Olives. It is actually a signing of a peace treaty with Israel orchestrated by the rising Antichrist. In 2 Thessalonians it talks about that. The rapture, let me tell you, the taking away of the church when Christ comes, it says, it says he shall descend from heaven with a shout. This is Jesus. With a voice of the archangels, 1 Corinthians 15, Paul's writing this, all right? He starts off in, the, in partway through this and he says, If Christ is not being raised from the dead, I am one of the most foolish and sad men that has ever been born. Because I believe that he's been raised from the dead, as do you. But we shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye. The dead in Christ shall rise first, and we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall be forever with the Lord. All right? So look at this. The tribulation triggers, sorry, the treaty between the Antichrist and Israel triggers a seven-year peace treaty, which also introduces the seven years tribulation. So if you're still floating around and you see a peace treaty signed with Israel, Maybe you need to find your Bible and find out what you did wrong or where you went wrong. Because believers are taken out. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise. And we who are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall be forever with the Lord. Comfort one another with these words. So your job today, your homework today, is to comfort somebody at lunchtime with those words. (laughs) So let's put it into perspective. Three questions. When will the temple be destroyed? 70 AD. What is the sign of your coming? Wars, rumours of wars. What is the sign of the end of the age? World war. Okay, a worldwide war. And they will tell you that the war is still going on. In fact, it's still going on. It went all the way through the, through the, the Cold War and it's happening again right now with Russia and the rest of the world. Okay, So Jesus does a broad stroke picture of future events. He uses vivid language to describe the end of the age and his return. To get a clear picture of this, we need to go back to uh, Revelation chapter 1. It's actually forward, isn't it? So this is what happens in Revelation chapter 1. You all wondered when I was going to get to Revelation, didn't you? I'm not going there. 
except to mention them. If you want to, if you want to find out about Revelation, we're starting on the 19th of September here at 7pm and then Pam's got some uh, sheets out there. You can put your name down and come along. We'll run through to about the middle of November and we'll deal with Revelation in a nutshell. We're not going to do all of it. We're going to do most of it. Okay, We're going to deal with the tribulation and what's going on. So sign up for that. like to see you there. Jesus says, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be. Amen. And then Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Why is he coming back? I'll tell you one very good reason why Jesus is coming back. Because you're still here. And he's not going to miss one of you. So these are the signs of the times in a pretty big nutshell. But I can tell you one thing out of all of that. The Bible never makes a mistake. The Bible never gets it wrong. And Jesus is coming to do what he said he would do. He's coming for his church. He's coming for his bride. He's coming to restore Israel. He's coming to rule the nations, Psalm 2.9, with a rod of iron. He's coming He's coming to bring peace upon the earth. He's coming, according to Paul writing in uh, Romans 8, he's coming to restore all things. You want to talk about climate change? He's going to have some climate change, but it's going to be good climate change because he's coming to restore it. You know, everybody, it's, it's becoming a cry. It used to be like nuclear weapons. We're not having nuclear weapons in our country. I think Cessnock's still got signs up that says we're a nuclear-free city. I don't know why anybody would take anything nuclear into Cessnock, but that, and that's another story. <laughs> but there were people around the world and they marched and, you know, um, France blew up the Miraroa Atoll. Like they let off so many atomic bombs in that they actually fractured the island in, in half. But Jesus is coming back for us, for his, his bride. And that's what we are. And these are the signs. And he says, do not be frightened, for these are just the beginning of the birth pangs. So we're not to be fearful, but we're to look with expectant eyes for the fact that he's coming with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God. And the dead of Christ will rise, and we that are alive and remain shall be taken to be with him forever and ever. A lot of people, and this is closing, not in my notes, but a lot of people say, oh, you know, the church goes through the tribulation or goes partway into the tribulation. Let me tell you something. Go and read Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Right? You don't take a wife that you love and beat her up if you're sane. You know what I'm saying? You love your wife. You love them with everything that you've got. I mean, if I didn't love my wife, you wouldn't be getting morning tea. But what I'm saying to you is that's a very, very strong message. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Do you think that the Son of God who went all the way through Calvary and was locked in a tomb and rose again on the third day and ascended into heaven is going to come back to persecute his bride, commit domestic violence on his bride? I'm sorry, I don't figure that at all. He loves us and he loves you. Okay. Father, thank you. We bless your name. We bless you for your soon coming, Jesus. We thank you for what you are showing us. May your spirit continue to minister to us in Jesus' name. Amen.